Welcome to Face Your Faith with West Kenyon. It is our hope that today's study will encourage you to grow deeply in your relationship with God as we study the Word together. Now let's join West for today's study. Today we are going to talk about a topic that plagues entirely too many people, and this topic is one that I allow to handicap me and have allowed to handicap me throughout most of my life. And that handicap? Failure. Now, if you have never experienced the feeling of failure, then you are exceptionally blessed, or not being honest, and I believe the latter would be far more likely, and if for no other reason that it is a very human emotion to feel failure, and on many different levels. Understand I'm not saying everyone feels like a failure all the time, but many people do experience plenty of moments in their lives. And this feeling of failure most often leads to the debilitating aspect of not even wanting to start something, since it will likely go wrong anyway. And like many things in life, the feeling of failure is not something that we can just shrug off. It's not something we can just tell someone to get over and not to worry about, and nor should that be our automatic response. When it comes to giving advice to someone who is struggling with feeling they are nothing but a failure, and as is the case with many types of struggles we as humans go through, we must understand that all human emotions are a part of our very being, and all come with a reason, and regardless of whether or not they are of the positive or negative variety. Now, the word failure may seem like a generic word, and when it is used, it's just suggesting you didn't pass a test or didn't score a goal, but in reality, the word failure and the emotion associated with the word is substantially more significant. First off, let's look at a few synonyms for the word failure, which are defeat, collapse, coming to nothing, or falling through. And these are pretty depressing words, at least in my opinion, and every one of us knows each of these words firsthand, and that would indicate everyone has experience with identifying as a failure. This emotion hurts. It stings, and it's a miserable place to be. And when we are in that place, it is very, very hard to find a way out, especially if we see our lives stuck on the failure track. And as we move along here, I hope to accomplish two things. First, how to deal with our own life when we feel like a complete failure. And second, how to support someone else who is feeling like a complete failure. I must mention that when we talk about the body of Christ, the true church, being a family, then we must act like one and truly learn and know how to support each other in the right way, rather than how we think it should be done. Let's take a look at Galatians 6.2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And if you don't legitimately know how to help someone, then don't. And that does not mean you are a failure. It simply means you are not prepared to do that thing at that time. That being said, if you truly desire to help people, and feel like a failure because you aren't good at it, then do something about it and ask for help and learn how, which will ultimately remove future concerns of failure, at least in that area of your life. And this is exactly what you expect of others who are going to take care of you. We want our doctors, for example, to do things the right way rather than the way they think best at the time. We want them to really know what they are doing and the same goes for each of us when we attempt to support others in emotional and physical ways. So how do we do this? First off, we need to understand very well for ourselves how to work through the emotions of our own feelings of failure before we take up someone else's care and support. 
And this takes us right to Matthew 7, 4, which says, How can you say to someone else, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? Here's a great example of the necessity to do a very careful self-assessment of where we are. Now, the trick is the self-assessment cannot be done without God. If we decide to do a self-assessment, we will never find the answers and will remain in our rut, and as our passage points out, and legitimately unable to help anyone else. And this self-assessment with God is so important because that means we are asking for help. And this indicates we know we can't do this on our own. We are admitting that we do not have what it takes. We have come to terms with being at the end of our rope and, yes, legitimately failed in this area. And that is an excellent thing to fail at and a great example of a positive failing. And should we get very honest and real with God in our self-assessment and let God do his work in us to get us on the right track, we will likely have to endure some very difficult times of rehabilitation. Our great physician will very likely prescribe a number of different treatments for us, and at the very least, a few of which will be difficult and maybe even a bit agonizing. And it is crucial because we on our own are not likely at all to prescribe for ourselves the potentially difficult and painful remedies that are required to get us going in the right direction, which is precisely why we go to others, such as a doctor or God who knows what we need. The doctor knows we will always choose the easiest way out, and so does God for that matter, and often do the least amount of work to deal with our deficiency but that is not how we ever successfully get through the difficulties in life. Keep in mind, most of us are just as happy to swallow a pill to make everything better. But in many cases, that is the very lazy way out and more often than not comes with what is really needed and that of discipline. And the lack of discipline will set us up for even more failure in the future. Again, rectifying something in our life is likely not going to be easy, but it will be what's best for us and for our future in discipline because God does know best. God has also given us a long list of people throughout the scriptures who experienced some epic failures. Peter's water-walking adventure failed because he took his eyes off Jesus. Jonah's cruise plans failed because he didn't like his original destination. David's fling with his next-door neighbor's wife and his being an accomplice to murder failed. And Paul, whose mission to wipe out Christians failed, and he got very frustrated with himself as well for failing in doing the things he knew he shouldn't do and not doing the things he knew he needed to do. And this is just a sampling of four messed up miserable people in the whole of the scriptures. If these individual examples aren't enough, please go and find all the others like Adam and Eve and their son Cain. By the way, it's okay to be a wreck and a mess and a failure so long as you immediately deal with it, with God, when you become aware of the situation. But there is someone else who was in a completely desperate situation and in anguish and feeling defeated. Someone who experienced life collapsing in on him, felt complete rejection, doom, and every other hideous emotion that coincides with being wrongfully put to death. And that individual? Jesus. Just how bad was it? Let's take a look at Matthew 15:34. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi. Lama Sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a very harsh question slash statement Jesus made there. Why have you forsaken me, God, Father? 
I refer to this as a statement question because while Jesus asked a question, he also inferred in that question exactly how he felt it was taking place, that God let him down in that moment of time. Here Jesus expressed, God, why have you abandoned, deserted, stranded, discarded, shunned, renounced, betrayed, rejected, and disowned me? And that is exactly how Jesus felt in his fully human form. And with this acknowledgement of feeling forsaken also came with it the feeling of defeat, collapse, everything coming to nothing, which are synonyms for failure. Jesus made it very clear by using the word forsaken that he felt completely let down. This short nine-word statement is packed with incredible emotion, so much so an entire message could be done on that alone. And this question slash statement from Jesus tells us he felt every single emotion we could possibly ever feel in our life. And so wrapped up in his words, there would be no reason he did not feel in all of this a sense of failure as well. And how can we draw that conclusion? Easily. Again, Jesus went through everything we would go through. And on top of all that, it would stand to reason that success would not have ended in being executed for doing everything right. Success would not have been beaten within inches of your life before you were executed, to name just a few of the dismal events Jesus had to endure. Still not convinced Jesus would have felt the human emotion of failure? Let's look at Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus empathizes. That is, he felt exactly as we feel in every and all our situations, and he has gone through every situation we will ever go through. And the only difference is Jesus did not succumb to that which led to the sin aspect of the situation. Another interesting aspect of Jesus' words here, why have you forsaken me, was the fact that his statement question was an accusation directed toward God for his circumstances. Again, why are you, God, Father, willfully abandoning, deserting, shunning, renouncing, betraying, rejecting, and disowning your own son. How could you do this to me? Doesn't that sound just like the questions we ask God regularly, or the statements we proclaim to him? Could it be that is exactly why Jesus uttered those words himself? Because he knew it was exactly who we are and fully understands our exact pain. Consider this as well. Prior to Jesus uttering these very powerful words at the end of his life, he had already gone to God, his Father, our Father, and prayed this, Matthew 26, 39. And going a little farther, Jesus fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. We see here that even before things started getting ugly, really ugly, He asked to not have to go through the trial and torment and tribulation of what was to take place, but said, this isn't about what I want. It is about what will be best to serve you, Lord. And we know, based on his sinless nature, that he, unlike us, fully, fully believed with absolutely no doubting. Yet even in his perfection and complete knowledge of the entirety of the process, Jesus prayed for something to happen in a certain way, a way he would prefer. But since that may not be the best way from God's perspective, he submitted to him in the end. But when the end came, even though he truly believed what he prayed, it still hurt more than anything, and he expressed his very real, honest, and raw emotions. 
Notice God did not respond and say, you wicked son, how dare you insinuate I did anything of the sort to you. You know better than that. Shame on you. No son of mine talks that way to me. Nothing of the sort was uttered because our high priest, fully God, fully Jesus, fully understands every ounce of our humanity and knows when we are sincere and in anguish and is perfectly okay if we have all these emotions. But thankfully, it does not end with doom and abandonment and helplessness and defeat and seeming failure. Rather than the seemingly crushing blow to everything Jesus did and worked for came an all-new beginning, a whole new life, a whole new sequence of events never experienced on earth until that moment and a life that is still giving fully today. As we can see, when we feel defeated, as though life is completely collapsing and everything is coming to nothing, and through it all, we feel forsaken, abandoned, deserted, stranded, shunned, renounced, betrayed, rejected, and disowned. And it feels as though everything is for naught and it has all failed. It can be the very beginning of a renewed life. The old adage, no pain, no gain, and Jesus lived that one out first. Remember, it is at these moments that God is often able to do his best work with us, just like he did with Jesus. It is the times we are in the darkest, deepest valley in life that God can change our life. And it is often our failures that draw us closest to God for him to transform our failure into future perfection and allow us to bear one another's burdens because we too have suffered to empathize from our own sufferings. Do you recall David too cried out to God the very same words of Jesus? Psalm 22, 1. David writes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Another great example of just how much God understands the crushing moments that can consume our lives. But God was faithful to David and lifted him up from the depths. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. David walked in some very dark places and often felt defeated and like a failure. But David consistently crawled back to God for help because he knew God understood. And through it all, God said to David, you are a man after my own heart. Wow. God's promise was this for David, and it is the same for us today. Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I, the Lord, am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What an amazing promise. Our God in the midst of it all, the darkest, deepest, most desperate place in our lives, will give us strength. He will help us. He will give us strength and hold us up. So why doesn't it feel like that when we are in the place in our lives of complete and utter failure? Why does God feel so distant, so very far away, and as if he truly has forsaken us? Why, during those times, do we feel that life is just not worth it, that no one cares, not even God? Well, unlike Jesus, we do wander off from God's side, sometimes very far off. We wander off from the very one we expect to keep us happy and satiated and free from problems. And it is most often when we wander off, we get snared in the trap of life and our adventure we planned comes to a very abrupt end. And it is at these times we typically thrash and scream of what a failure we are. And it is often at these same times that we add to that, why is it always me? Nothing ever works. God doesn't care. If he loved me, he wouldn't keep letting me get into these messes. Based on that, however, could it be that our failures are more often than not the direct result of 
our expectations and our assumptions in life when we mastermind it? Do things fail when I choose to wander off with a plan I have developed, a direction I have chosen, and an end result of what I desire to obtain in the end? And even if it is a noble mission I choose to go on, one that might even be to help others discover more about God, a real godly mission, if I do not seek God for the guidance and wisdom before engaging in it, the likelihood of failure and defeat is fantastic. And it would be in these instances that when things go completely south, that I will scream and holler at God and blame him for everything always going wrong and that I am nothing more than a complete failure and I'm done. Those are the moments that I utter the words, my God, my God, why do you keep abandoning me? Except in this instant, I am falsely accusing God. And I am falsely accusing God in this instance because I never included him in the beginning. So in reality, there is no way he could have let me down. Keep in mind, you can only be let down if you have included someone who promised to keep you from falling in the first place. In case you have not caught on, I am talking about me right now. Yes, you are listening to someone who really struggles with life. I struggle a great deal with feeling like I'm a failure, and I regularly do and say all the things I just mentioned. But why? Well, it's rather quite simple. I attempt to live entirely too much of my life on my terms and in the way I think it should go and feel. I decide I am smart enough and competent enough to deal with the day-to-day aspects of my life and don't include God. Problem with this is, when I don't plan with God, I am legitimately setting myself up for personal failure. And personal failure is true failure and much different than not obtaining the outcome I hoped for because God has a different outcome and that of being an outcome far better than the best. When I plan without God, I put my expectations in all the wrong places. My expectations are in my ability, my ideas, my desire, and when my ideas and abilities and desires collapse, that is when I melt down in misery and it feels as though I am nothing but a complete failure. But the fact is, The failure in this case is self-inflicted, not God-inflicted. It is not God's doing or even God's allowing. Rather, God is letting me do as I please, exercising my very free will and going down in a free will heap. True failure. The great thing about God in all of this, however, is the fact that his love for every believer is so intense, he uses even these self-made moments for our growth. Romans 8.28 And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So even in my self-centered way and ranting and raving in God's ear at everyone else's that I am a complete failure and it's not worth trying and I give up is all on me. Yet in God's faithfulness and love and mercy, he uses each opportunity of my self-imposed way of life to teach me. And his curriculum is absolutely fantastic. And failure is the best way to get my attention. After all, if I am always succeeding or even succeeding most of the time, I truly have no need to go to God. And that is not how the life of a believer will work. And this brings us right back to the beginning of our topic. The feeling of failure is palpable. It carries with it some very painful feelings. Feelings of absolute despair and can create a massive disability if we do not listen to God and accept the help we desperately need and the help that he will give us. And without the intense and physical emotion to not walking with God, 
we will not wake up to our self-driven way of life and we will continue to ignore God and ultimately remain living in very dark valleys. Let's take a look at Psalm 145.14. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. Here we see that God keeps us from catastrophic falls when we are focused on him. And we see too in this passage that when we start our day and keep our day focused, bow down to him, he lifts us up. When we allow him to provide our directions, just like a good GPS system does, and there is trouble down the road on our planned path, we will be given an option to reroute and all to avoid being stuck in a mess. Notice we are given the option, again, free will. And this is what God does for us all day long. Yet most of us second guess all day long that God knows what he is talking about. I have on a number of occasions second guess Siri or Google when I am told to go a different direction and that it will save time because there is an incident reported ahead. Then I start to reason out that warning by looking ahead myself and not seeing brake lights. I know that it would be quicker to just get off at the next exit and that will really be the quickest way and far quicker than these silly directions from some bot. After all, I am here, I am seeing the situation with my own eyes, so I know better. So I continue with my idea, my plan, and end up stuck, and can't get off at that next exit after all, and now I'm angry, very angry, hostile in fact. Again, I start blaming God and once again feel that he let me down, and I blame myself for being such a failure, and the story keeps rolling along, yet again. But all this was all me. I was warned. I didn't listen. And worse than all that, part of the reason I use GPS directions is to get notification should a problem arise so I can avoid it. But for some reason, I seem to second guess it. And that is all too often how we treat God. So what must we do? Instead of getting hostile and going on the blame game, we need to start responding to these circumstances by going to God and saying, Thank you for allowing me to realize that I need to listen better. I need to pay attention a lot more and accept your guidance along with my GPS guidance. I need to accept that I have made an error, not that I'm a failure, since that will only beat me down further and will lead me once again to rejecting God's help. And that is where Satan wants me to be. I need to accept that the hurt and pain of my stupidity and self-guided ways is what I really needed to see the reality so I don't keep doing this over and over again. I need to accept that I need to be pushed to continue to mature. Romans 5, 3 through 5. Rejoice in your sufferings. Know that the suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. But this type of response and this shift in attitude can seem rather weak and pathetic. And men especially fall into this hideous trap. And that is why so many men get into far more trouble than women do. But it's okay to give in and submit. And that is not at all an indication of weakness. And submitting and surrendering is not being passive or lazy or indifferent to life when we submit to God. We will read in a second that there is such a thing as healthy weakness which comes about from great wisdom, great intelligence, and as a result of a God-honoring character. Let's take a look at 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. It says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Weakness, as in submitting to God and allowing God to lead, is not what we naturally desire. It takes us out of the picture, and that makes us feel less than, weak. But it is, in fact, when we step out of the picture and let God do the leading, we are exceptionally strong and content in Christ our Lord. So how do you help someone who feels like a failure? Ask them this. Are you living life on your own terms? And if you feel like a failure, ask yourself this. Am I living life on my own terms? Will life always have plenty of moments that feel like things are falling apart? Sure. However, we can always go back to what Jesus taught us in his anguish. It's okay to question and hurt and confront God with our overwhelming grief. And when we freely and willingly do that, it is then we are properly and sufficiently weak and admitting we can't handle it alone and that we need help. Strong people ask for help. Truly weak people can't admit when they need it. Dump the pride, dump the ego, and ask for help. Ask for directions. Find the amazing strength in your weakness, the weakness of submitting to the authority of God. Now, I can relate very well to all of this, but the problem is I seem to be a very stubborn and slow learner, and I don't practice what I preach very well. But I am slowly learning and slowly growing and slowly accepting it's okay to be weak so God can do his awesome work in me. And I hope you will allow God to do his work in your life and not fight it. Is this easy? Not at all. And definitely don't expect just because you go to God and say, I'm ready to be weak, Lord, that you will do a 180 on the spot. That won't happen. And it won't happen because you wouldn't learn anything from the experience. You are going to have to go through the tests and you are going to have to fail some more so that you never forget where your true strength comes from. Remember, our greatest strength is in being content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities.